Welcome to Run Your Mouth. I'm your host, David Melly. This week's guest is David Ribich of Union Athletics Club, a 355 miler and many-time D2 national champion at Western Oregon University. You may also know David as the host of the Sit and Kick podcast or the author of Small School, Big Dreams. He's quite the renaissance man. This was absolutely one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on the podcast. David was super honest and vulnerable in talking about his journey with the sport and pulling back the curtain on what it means to go through a contract negotiation as a pro runner. He also shared his changing goals and perspective as he's grown in his time as a pro. And of course, because it's Valentine's Day, we got David's full love story and a recap of his proposal to his fiance in an Irish castle of all places. Thanks for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe, follow, and throw us some love in the ratings and reviews. The show just turned five years old last week, and the whole time it really has been a love letter from me to the sport, to the culture, and all the people who make running so much more than just a type of exercise. Thanks again, and enjoy the episode. After about 15 minutes of technical difficulties, we are here, and <laughs> welcome to Run Your Mouth, Long Run Talk with Long Talking Runners. I am here uh, with, I would say, the the better David of the track and field uh, world, David Ribich. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I actually don't know where do I speak into this. Do I speak down into it straight? I think wherever you do, it's going to work cool. out great. Okay. Um, yeah. No, thanks Thanks for having me. Thank you for bringing me into your studio. Um, oh, this place yeah. is sweet. I'm I'm very excited to to have you on. I feel like it's a, it's a long time coming and uh, I'm excited podcaster to podcaster. Yeah. Um, for starters, you know, we're, we're obviously going to talk a bit about, uh, you know, your big changes in, in yeah. your life moving forward. But uh, what's the latest with sit and kick? You guys went dark for a while. There. Yeah, we've, we've been uh, we've been dark for a while. Um, you know, it, it hasn't been necessarily intentional. It's just kind of been, I guess, natural and organic um, as we kind of see our podcast. It's not like we do our podcast because it's our source of income. We do our podcast because it's something that we enjoy doing. Um, and me being away from Josh and not able to uh, press him frequently about this recording time or this edit or that video, um, it's just kind of lying low a little bit. I think that at times our podcast will slowly turn into a bit of a catch up for us, whether it be highlighting one of his races or highlighting one of my races or, you know, like let's say this weekend, for instance, him at Milrose, me here in Boston, if if all goes well in both races, I'm sure we'll have something to say about it. Um, but just when, when seasons start going, it, it's always hard to track, um, a schedule down, whether it be with yourself or athletes. So we just kind of have sit and kick line low. Uh, yeah, just it's, it exists, but, uh, just barely. <laughs> it's funny hearing you say you have, you have something to say about it. Cause I feel like that's a little bit of the, you know, yeah. you guys talk about the banter, but yeah. then, but then also, you know, Josh going back and forth with, with Ollie and, mm-hmm. and kind of, you guys are unafraid to mix it up yeah. with other other athletes uh, yeah. through the the podcast medium. Um, do you feel like that's you know like part of your natural personalities, or is that like a conscious effort to like keep spice things up in the sport? Like, where does that come from? Yeah, I, I think that's just who we are. I think we don't take ourselves too serious. I think on race day we take ourselves pretty serious, um, but in the day to day, and like we're just runners and we're just people, and we. Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We we shoot the shit. Like we, <laughs> we we say what we want, say when we want it. Like if if we, because the thing is, is like we banter with our guests, but we also banter with each other, and our friendship is kind of just like that. And so 
I wouldn't say we don't we don't intentionally uh, choose to banter. It just kind of comes out, and that's cool. That's okay. That's cool. It's cool with us. Have you ever had a moment where you're like, ooh, we, we went a little too far? I've, this I've had to we do gotta, a lot of editing. Cut some stuff I, out. I, I, I do a lot of editing. The banter that we actually put out is uh is pretty mild compared to some of the stuff that we get. Usually we'll we'll banter like we had Grant on one time and uh Grant Holloway was like we were talking about contracts and Grant just actually kinda got a little bit too in depth with his contract and after the episode I go, Hey, we can't post that because <laughs> that's definitely an NDA like violation. Like we need I'm gonna take that out. And then I took it out and then Grant like met, uh, texted us and was like, "Hey boys, like I think I might have overspoke." And I'm like, "Grant, you're yeah, all good. We're, we're already took it. <laughs> already <laughs> took it out." Um, and so I would say that our number one goal in our podcast has always been just to be super casual. And it's like it's not live. We don't do anything live. So if you say something, I regret. He regrets. Anyone regrets. We just take it out. No hard feelings. Have you? Uh... You and Josh, do you ever nudge each other, hit, hit a nerve a little too I've, personal? I've hit, I've hit a few nerves uh, with Josh um, before, and I'm I'm pretty uh, clean slate, I would say. I don't really go off the the deep end often, um, but there's been a few times. But yeah, I can usually rub Josh the wrong way, make him say something in the moment too aggressive about a competitor, and then he's like, I don't want to start anything with that. So I was like, let's just take that out. And I go, okay. So then I do. That's fair. And then what, I guess, you know, diving right into it like what is the dynamic been between between the two you guys and and also your other sort of former teammates that yeah making the change over to union athletic club yeah it's i mean we're, we're friends first and like um i certainly miss them as as people um as teammates um but it, it was ultimately something that had to happen and needed to happen um and it's funny because like I found out um i was released from brooks because if you if you don't know my story i mean it's on my our podcast with sit and kick it's on coffee club not coffee club that's the that's the rivals uh it's mm -hmm. on uh coffee's over what is it convos over cold brew with emma, emma. yeah <laughs> and like i don't i don't have a problem like diving into it here either i can reiterate anything um you need me to but um for those that have heard it already you're gonna listen to it again for those that haven't <laughs> heard it um here we go but like i was released from brooks uh at the end of september and which was which i was happy about because my agent and i had already been discussing me leaving and we had an option year in my contract where I could have been re-signed for the amount that I was already on under Brooks. Um, it just never got to that point. Decisions were just made for me uh, from a corporate perspective. So when that happened, we just immediately had to shift and be like, okay, well, like, what's our next step? What's our next move? It caught me a bit by surprise. Um, but in terms of our dynamic, the reason I explain that is because I found out, like, let's just say, what day was it? It was a Tuesday. I was in Salt Lake City visiting one of my best friends from high school. Josh was in Salt Lake City because uh, his fiance was doing a residency there for her doctorate program. So I went there for like a week to hang out with two of my best friends. And Josh and I went golfing the day before. I gave him this like, I asked Josh to be in my wedding, so he's going to be one of my groomsmen. Um, so obviously our relationship goes beyond the track. But I, um, I did this sentimental thing with the people in my wedding where I give them a Chris, I gave them a Christmas ornament and a, and a and a handwritten card which they probably couldn't read because my handwriting's pretty bad, <laughs> but I've had this thing with Olivia where every year I give her a Christmas ornament from our favorite memory together from the year, and so like this year um, when we celebrated Christmas, I gave her an Ireland Christmas ornament from um, Ashford Castle, which is where we got engaged. And then the year prior to that, I gave her one from like Mount Rainier where we went backpacking. From the year prior, it was the Oregon coast year prior, it was Paris. Like I just, I do it every single year. So what I, what I did for my groomsmen was I gave them an ornament that said Oregon on it. And it was all a unique 
um, ornament. Josh had like golf on his because him and I like to golf together. And the point of it was like, I know that my wedding this year is going to be my favorite memory. And so I want those guys to be there for that. So it was just kind of like a, uh, a tribute to them. Like when you hang up this ornament in your Christmas tree, like I want you to like reflect on our friendship and just know how much I value you. Cause I, I really do value all of them. And when I, with the funniest thing about it is with Josh in the card, I wrote, I was like, Josh, to be honest, our friendship day in to day out, not great. We don't really text much. <laughs> we don't really hang out. Like we do hang out when we are available, but like I, I've texted Josh like, uh, a couple days ago and I didn't hear from him for a few weeks. We FaceTimed a, a randomly. Like we don't really have like a steady friendship, but the, that, that's really, really okay with both of us because I, in my card, I told him, I said like, whether it be my ultimate high or my ultimate low, like I always want you there in my corner and I'm, I'm happy to be there for you in your corner when you need that. And that's really what it is, is like the, the relationship that him and I have is like a pendulum where it, it, it just kind of stalls out in the middle, but when it swings to one side, like there's no other person I'd really want in my corner than Josh. And so we went golfing on Monday. I gave him the ornament, talked about the highs and the lows. The next day I get canned. And, uh, he's like, man, he's like, my, my, my meeting got canceled. Um, so like, I'm free. He's like, I don't know what that was, that was about. And I'm like, well, Josh, the reason your meeting got canceled is because this is how my meeting went. And he goes, <laughs> oh shit. And so he immediately drove down, picked me up and we just, I stayed with him in, at Salt Lake for the night and we just talked about it. And like, it, it, it was really apparent and it was like ironic that I just talked about how I want him there for my lows and I was just hit with one right away. And so our friendship is great. Um, I told him I should have waited 24 hours to ask him to be in my wedding because maybe <laughs> I wouldn't have asked him how to, had everything unfolded the way that it did. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really good because him and I were still able to run this fall and we, I talked through him. I talked with him about all my decisions and he's one of the, the few people I think that can speak his mind openly with me, like really, really challenge me. And flat out, he said like, okay, David, tell me, tell me why you want to go to union and don't give me a pish answer. Like, tell me. And I told him and he's like, okay, great, great. But it was like a longer answer than that. But he, 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 he's genuine. Um, and as much as a bully and as much as a, uh, an ego that he looks, I think, can, and he can put out on the track, like, he does everything with love. And so I, I really value him and their other relationships. Yeah, they're good. Uh, like I, I, we warmed up with uh Henry win today at the track when we were doing our pre-meet. So yeah, friends are friends. I think there's something to, you know, the fact that, I mean, having been around the pro side of the sport for as long as I have at this point, like there, you have these like long standing relationships with people that you maybe never trained with, or maybe mm -hmm. you don't even see them. You see them five days a year, but it just so happens. Like, yeah those are the five meets that you're all yeah. at and you develop these, you know, long lasting friendships with folks, um, from literally all over the world. Um, uh, so backing up a little bit, I don't, I don't want to get to like repeating things you've talked about before, but when you say getting canned, like yeah. who's, if there's stuff you can't talk about, you can't yeah, talk yeah. about it, but like, who's can it, like, is it like the president of Brooks? Like yeah. who's firing you in that situation? Yeah. I, I won't, I won't name drop anyone specifically because, um, I mean, our sport is so small, so you could you could sure. probably figure it out on your own. Um, not you. I'm not saying like you could figure it out. I'm like <laughs> people listening could probably sure. figure it out. Um, but ultimately, what what the scenario was is yeah. Again, I signed um two a two year contract with two one year options, and my agent, who is Howie Kaflek, Howie Kaflekski, who is a brilliant man, I love him, great person. Um, he was able to negotiate into that as a dual party option. So we also had the option to not resign for the amount if that's what Brooks wanted to do. So we felt like we had a little bit of leverage and, and, and flexibility if it came to resigning or not resigning. Mm -hmm. 
And so I reached out to Brooks Sports Marketing, which that's ultimately the person that made the decision was the head of that. And that's what I feel like maybe a lot of people don't realize is like, it's not like, yeah. I think people think of like, the coach yeah it wasn't danny's decision like the it head of the company and yeah that's not it wasn't it, it wasn't works. danny it wasn't the team it wasn't me um i think i would ultimately at the end of the year would have come to that conclusion because i because i had a dual party option i was able to also communicate outwardly um with how we and have him speak on my behalf 90 days prior to my contract ending which was in that window so um so yeah it, it was and and to continue the story of it like i reached out to essentially my boss because in the corporate world I, I'll just use it as a scenario of like it's your job um, I reached out to my boss I said hey I'd love to schedule a time to talk uh, we haven't spoken in a, few, in a, in a while um, let's set up a time so we set up a time we set up a time to, to call um, the time comes around we speak on the phone and then I thought that first initial contact that I had with them was going to be opening the conversation up and putting it out there like Hey, let's see what we can do um, in terms of this option. Cause I still, I just still didn't know where, what I wanted to do or be. And so, and then immediately into the phone call, um, it was presented to me like, like literally, Hey David, we're, I'm just going to cut to the chase. We're not going to resign you. And then I literally like backspace my laptop, like, okay, <laughs> let me, let me go back and literally erase everything that I had planned for this meeting. Um, and so then after that, I pretty much was going through like an exit process where then I and the language used at the time was we, we, we. So I thought it was like an active decision from Danny. Um, and so then after I spoke with sports marketing, I got a follow-up call from Danny. We spoke for a bit. I got a follow-up call with Howie. Howie and I kind of reassured myself that like, yo, this is, this is okay. We're going to make this work. Um, and then I spoke with Danny once everything kind of settled because in that time, it's, it's a little bit of a shock. You know, it's, it's like your world does get a little bit flipped upside down. Um, and like I use the analogy, like the carpet got pulled out from under me just because I might have naturally walked out the door, but all of a sudden everything was made, all the decisions were made for me. And so it was just like, I got pushed through it and that's okay. Um, but I was a bit blindsided. And, and when I spoke with Danny, he, he reassured me like, Hey, this wasn't my decision. Like, I want you to know, like we value you. And not to say that I was devalued. Cause I I'll, I'll even speak openly about, I think why the reasons I was released, um, and so with Danny, it, it was just like, he, he fought to keep me, um, but ultimately like a business is a business. And the analogy that I'll use is if you're, if you're a company and you have this person that represents you and your job is to present six times to, let's just say a, a board meeting, you have six presentations to present to the board meeting. Let's say two of those board meetings go phenomenal and people clap their hands and people like get excited about what you're presenting. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. But then the other four times, the board's just sitting there in the meeting after you've done presented and they're scratching their head like, what, what's, what does he mean? What does he say? So, so when it comes to like track and field being a performance sport, like if you're only passing or if you're only succeeding two out of the six times that you're presenting, by all intensive purposes, it might look like you're failing. And, and, and I'm not to say that like I was failing, but my, my performance was the reason I was released. Um, I had some inconsistencies with my performances. I mean, I made the Olympic trials um, final in the 1500 meters, but then I finished last in it. And then I ran an indoor 3K last year and I ran like 803 
which was, I was just like, what the heck is going on? Like, there's so many, like, there's a lot of things going on with that. But then I ran like 340 in the 1500. But then I end, I ended my year, and I didn't make the U.S. final last year. But then I ended my year running 338, 335. And I think my U.S. ranking at the end of the year was seventh in the U.S. And globally, I think I was 60th or so. So I, I felt as though I put a good enough summer package together that, like, we could we could have a conversation like, hey, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of hiccups, but I'm doing okay. Um, and, ju- and that just wasn't an option. And so, yeah, it's a, it, it's a, it's a weird world because in the sport of track and field, like you don't really get those, um, you don't, you don't, you don't really get to see from a fan perspective how those conversations work. And it's like, obviously I can't really go great into great detail of it, but like you look at the NBA, like the trade deadline was yesterday and you saw how much like shit hit the fan there. But I think that there needs to be a little bit more of a norm when it comes to athletes moving teams and athletes moving brands. And I thought the coffee club did a really good job of that because um, they actually did a whole like piece of their podcast. Um, shout out to Morgan Ollie and, and Jordy and the boys and Gus. But they like talked about how like it's cool to see an athlete change brands and change teams. And so, yeah, that was a long roundabout answer. But that's that's how I am and, and, and where and I am like- today. I, I could go like a thousand different directions with this. So <laughs> trying to keep all my thoughts straight. Yeah. But like, I think that's also, it's interesting that you say like, cause for me, it's like everyone wants the drama or like you to trash talk somebody or whatever. Yeah. I more think about like, there's so much, you know, there's so little talk in the track world about sort of some of these conversations that are very open and yeah. like other sports, you know, contract transparency is yeah, non-existent crazy. and you know yeah if somebody is thinking about leaving like you would never like to use you as an example like and, and uh, like i'm not saying this like as an attack but like yeah, yeah. you went you know you didn't necessarily announce your next step until you had your next step in line and i think there's a real like uh norm and track of like yeah. like what is like you can't really be like guess what everybody i'm unemployed i'm trying to figure it out like yeah yeah i think it's interesting like i guess and and it also is really different like some you know there's like a wide range in terms of how that off-ramp looks like i guess for you like so did you just you're like i'm you know i'm not going to practice the next day like what was the yes so that's and and that's actually i think one of the biggest not issues um but the, the lack of transparency is crazy and and it's one of those things where like I had no intention of being dark from October to January one on my social, but I kind of was inadvertently because I didn't know what to talk about. I didn't know what to do because technically I'm still under contract with Brooks. Technically I'm still a Brooks athlete, but I'm not, I'm not going to fake it or sugarcoat it. Like I, I had long talks with, with Howie about potentially even announcing it on my podcast early and kind of building a campaign around the idea of, me being unsponsored and letting that be an open conversation and letting that be out there in the world because I think that there needs to be more transparency. The hardest part is I didn't necessarily want to be that um, open because in this sport, there's there's so much toxicity around performance and there's so much toxicity around message boards and things like that. Like the sport is relatively self-destructive in some of the ways that people like to communicate about the sport. And so for me, I'm like, I just got to keep this close to me. Like I, I, everyone knew that was close within the sport that I, that I spoke with. Like I spoke with other athletes from other teams pretty openly about it in, in September when I was kind of doing research and recruiting elsewhere. And 
when I got a call from like Danny, um, he said like, Hey, you're Brooks athlete. You can still come to practice every single day if you want to. And for a while there, I thought like, okay, yeah, this is a great option. Like I'll, I'll, I can be with him, stay with the team until December 31st. And then I took some time to think about it and I'm like, nah, I'm going to train alone. So I ended up training alone from, I mean, really the, like the last few months of summer, I was getting workouts from Danny, but I kind of did my own thing through July and August. And then I went to some practices, but then when September rolled around and I found out that like, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm out. Like, it's kind of like trying to hold on to a relationship. And that's really what it felt like. It felt more like a, a breakup, if that makes sense. Like not romantic, but like, there's a lot of love that was put into that, um, that team and that, in that environment for me where I really put myself out there emotionally. And when I had the option to stay with the team through the fall, I just chose not to because I'm like, I need to look forward. I need to think about my next step. And I didn't know what my next step was. Like when I got released, I wasn't thinking necessarily, okay, where can I go next to train? I was also like, okay, I need to network because I'm a 26 year old athlete that has now been devalued from a company. And if I were to go out on social media and say, I'm no longer um, sponsored by Brooks, I don't want any company to see that as a devaluation in me. What, the language that we used. And I think that the appropriate thing to say is that like, I'm looking for something new, which is true. Mm -hmm. And, and we didn't, we didn't like when I was talking to Pete, even uh, Pete Julian, my coach now at union, I I told him pretty straight up. He's like, okay, well like what's going like, what's your situation? And I just said like, I'm not sponsored by Brooks anymore, or I won't be as of January one. Here's what's going on. And I spoke very openly with about like companies and sponsors. But the thing is, is I didn't want the masses of athletes and teams and coaches and, agents and just the world within professional track and field to find out that I was unsponsored via social media. I wanted it to be more personal and close because not everybody needs to know that at that time, if that makes sense. Um, and I hate the fact that I didn't do it, but I, but I did it for good reasons and I'm okay with not doing it like that. Um, but I mean, I went as far as like a week after I got, I said canned, but yeah, like a week after I got canned, I, went and bought a fitted suit because I'm like, I don't have a suit. What happens if I don't get a contract? What happens if I don't find a team? What happens if, so I, like my fiance helped me build a resume. I made a LinkedIn profile. I got a suit. I went through networking of like communicating and calling people that I know within the sport, out of the sport, just letting them know of my scenario, any advice. And that really helped because it kind of gave me perspective of like, okay, if this doesn't work, if I don't find a place, like there's an option elsewhere for me, a different avenue within the sport and out of the sport where I can make money and I can be successful. Cause at the time I was like, as of January one, I'm unemployed. And so, yeah, I didn't go to practice. So long story short, the next day I did kind of say peace out. Um, I would still see them around Seattle. And if I ran into them on a run, I would run with people. Um, but I kind of actively made the decision to only look forward because I didn't, I didn't want to run with people and think like, this is it. And, I, and everyone knew at that point on the team. If you hadn't, um, you know, January 1st comes around, no contract kind of emerges. How, how long do you think you would have sort of done the unsponsored like thing versus like, I guess I'm, reti I'm forcibly retired now. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and what's really sad is I think that over the course of the next few months, you'll, you'll find that 
I mean, there, there are athletes right now that I know that have been in Olympic trials finals that are going to just retire, but it's going to be so unspoken. It's going to be so quiet because of the same situation that you're talking about. And it's, and it's really, really sad that that's kind of the, the, the nature of the sport. Um, and the flip side too is, you know, I mean, I think there's sometimes an imbalance where it's like, there's folks who like absolutely still have the passion, have the drive, but like, they're just, they're not able to make the financial piece yeah. work. And then there's folks that for whatever reason have the contracts and have totally lost the love for it. And it's, it's yeah. too bad that you can't kind of yeah. like find the balance that works for everybody. Yeah. I mean, hot take one, I think contracts are too long and I think that contracts should be a little bit more strict and performance driven. Like my, my Brooks contract was like I said, two years with two, one year options. That's a pretty long contract, even, even as it is, because that's, that's half an Olympic cycle. And if had, I signed those two, one year options, then I'd gone through 23. And then if I signed again, I'd go through 24. That's two Olympic cycles that I'm locked in with that group and team. And I think that in the sport, there's too much pressure on the environment that the athlete's in, where at the end of the day, the athlete's hopefully going to be successful regardless. I do think coaches and teams and brands are very important to that. Um, but like change is so good. And in a sport like running, it seems like you have to be in routine and you have to have, um, consistency, which I think is true, but the most important consistency that you need is racing, not necessarily your environment. And that's, that's actually what I was lacking. I had a really consistent environment and I had a really consistent well-being in terms of my life, but my racing was so inconsistent and that's what got me canned my racing. That's interesting. Cause I feel like if anything, I would think it would go the opposite way where having that sort of four year stability allows you to make yeah. the kind of long-term investments. Like yeah. I know, I think I'm like, if I, if my like, you know, referendum on me as a runner was like my sophomore year in college, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I did all the things yeah. that I did success wise yeah. in college in my last two years because I had adjusted to the program. And, you know, I think there's a lot of examples in the pro world of like people yeah. that have a shit year, year and a half. And yeah. then once they kind of get up to speed with the program, they start popping off. Yeah. And, and, and that's not to say that those people that have shit years should be canned. Cause if that's true, then I should have been canned right away. <laughs> you know, like that's not necessarily what I, I, I want to make a point of, but, um, I think that there's a hunger and drive that you have to have in the sport at the professional level, regardless of your financial situation. Like you're saying, like, um, when you're, when you're we're talking about people that have love and the passion, but not the financial stability, I genuinely believe the financial instability is a bigger killer than anything else in the sport. So it's like, for me, I could do this sport. I mean, I plan to do this sport, at least through this Olympic cycle, as far as 2028, maybe beyond if I, if I do anything else. But the biggest thing that I walked into was I was like, can I justifiably pursue my dream right now with no source of income? And the, answer, the short answer is yes. Um, luckily, I'm in a very nice relationship with my fiance who just got a nice promotion <laughs> she'd be the breadwinner and hopefully like if all goes well she's this corporate badass and i get to be a stay-at-home dad like that's trophy that's husband cool baby trophy that's, husband. The, yeah. that's the goal <laughs> i tell her hey babe dinner's ready come on home the kids miss you you know like i have that a little bit of stability and i had that cushion um and so when it comes to like uh roundabout answers but when it comes to like just the performance aspect of the sport like I have more hunger right now in the position that I'm in than I had the last two years in the sport. And that has nothing to do with other than the fact that my environment has changed and my, my purpose and my drive has changed because if, if a financial stability really was my number one complete focus, I would, and, and I wanted the career that I had because at Brooks, like Brooks probably, I mean, you, you can 
Brooks pays well. I'll just say that. Brooks Brooks is a very generous company when it comes to the athletes that they sign. They sign for a livable wage in Seattle. You don't have to work a second job. Those are those are things that kind of come in nature, second nature with their contracts. Their bonus structure is good, sure. And, and I'm not going to say that I was complacent from that, but I had to look at myself in the mirror this whole fall as I'm training alone and like, okay, why, why the hell am I doing this still? Is it about money? Because if it's about money, I'll make more money doing something else. And it's not. It's, it's honestly about like a childhood dream that I want to pursue and do for at this point in my career myself i i don't want to and and my entire and i'm kind of rambling but my entire platform and my entire um identity in the sport is like me and amos were joking about it like did you he's like did you realize small school big dreams was going to be like your coinage and i'm like no i didn't i i just kind of did that and wrote that and like made that identity out there because i wanted to represent that type of person that like does get passed on, does go to a small school with lesser opportunity, does wear the same singlet for 12 seasons in a row through college. Like that, I wore the same singlet for every single season and then I kept it and I didn't give it back to the school. Don't tell Western Oregon that. But <laughs> so like I, I did a lot of this sport when I was growing up because I, I wanted to represent like-minded people and, and people from my scenario where they went to small schools and small high schools were developmental athletes. Like for that, those that don't know my story, like my mile PR in high school was 428. So it's like, and then by the time I ran, like, in high or in, in college and then in college, my mile PR was three fifty eight, and I was a super super late bloomer. Like, didn't hit puberty probably till I was like eighteen nineteen, and so I, I liked identifying with that. But this whole last couple months, and this is even what I told Josh when I talked about our podcast and and the length of it and what's going to happen to it. This my entire identity in the sport has been representing and doing the sport for other people. And I think that's great, and I and I want to be able to give back, and I will always give back to the sport, whether it be scholarships or gear to Enterprise High School or small school athletes with representation of writing a book or podcasting. I'm only doing this sport now for me, like, and that's what I really am trying to focus. And I don't want to sound like greedy, and I don't want to sound like self-centered, but like, man, I feel like I've done a lot for everyone else. But the one thing I've yet to accomplish, I think, is pursuing my own dream and and achieving to a level of standards of success that I, I think I'm capable of. And I reached that level in college and I reached that level in high school because I wasn't worried about who I was representing and what I was doing. And I don't think that pressure got to me at Brooks. I think that there was other issues that were kind of present that like kind of brought me back from performancing or performing. So now when I got to look in the mirror, I'm like, yo, I'm all in. I'm more all in now than I've ever been before. Like my, my I raced a race in Lilac and it, it was a decent mark, but I felt strong and I felt confident. I felt engaged. And this whole summer, even like when I ran 335 and, and had a second and a half PB, I ran that race because I told Howie, like, I'm running this race because I don't know where or what singlet I'm going to represent next year, but I'm running this for my career at this point. Like, this is, this is what I want on my name. And so for me, like, how long do I see myself in the sport? Not saying that I'm financially in, uh, unstable, but like, I'm going to go as a... Uh, as in this sport, as long as I, I can see that my dream is actively achievable. I think that this sport has a lot of, like, that's a big topic with Kyle's uh, lab count right now. Is like, what is professional in the sport? There's a lot of, a lot of athletes, a lot of people that hang around in the sport, which is totally cool and totally okay. But like, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm, I feel like I'm hyper competitive at this point. I'm as close to college as I've ever been from a, a mental perspective. And like, I want to win and I haven't been able to do that at the pro level. So I'm I'm in this until like I can win it, and I'm I'm in this until, um, I think that I can't do that. And so when I was talking with Pete, and when I was talking with uh, Union Athletic Club, it was like a 
He's like, okay, well, what do you want to get out of this? And I told him, I was like, I've been the nice guy. I've represented a lot. I've done all these things. And I'll continue to represent those people. But like my focus right now is, is to be the best version of myself and, and win, win on the day. Cause I, that's the one thing I've yet to really come together. Like, cool. I made a podcast. Cool. I wrote a book. Cool. I set division two records. Okay. Well, what have I done at the professional level? Quite frankly, I made one trials final and that's it. I want to do more than that. I want to make teams. I want to honestly chase records. And like, so at this point, moving forward in my career, Pete knows like I'm, I'm in this for me. And I think that you need to have that selfishness in the sport to succeed. Not maybe not the right word for it. You need to have that self-confidence. I'll say that you need to have the self-confidence in the sport that you can do that. And I genuinely believe with Pete that, that I'll be able to do that. So yeah. So what is, I mean, you know, you talk about winning records, you know, what is the dream right now? Like, is it, what are you envisioning on that? Like last 200, like, what is that for you? Yeah. Um, well, winning in records, it's again, it's, it's actually me and myself. I'm not even thinking big picture American records. I'm thinking like personal records at this point, because I've had so many inconsistencies in, in races at the professional level that like the last 200 of a race, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm like. I don't know what my, I'm going to be thinking with 200 to go tomorrow, but my number one priority is to get to the start line and try to murder people like i'm serious like i, I want to i really really i'm the nice guy I, and, and i love the relationships that i have on track but i think that i mean no pun intended last uh, nice guys finish last and i think that's that's what was kind of happening in a way that I, I put people ahead of me and so at this point like what that dream is is i i wanted i want to be able to step off the track like proud of myself of, of my efforts and my um, performance because I, I, I don't like bad races suck. Yeah. But I feel like I've had a lot of races where I've kind of finished it nonchalantly. And like, then what kept me up at night wasn't the bad race, but it was me thinking like, did I not give it my all? And it sounds so cheesy and so cliche to say that, but I'm really just trying to get the, the max effort of me. And like, if the dream of, uh, if, if the dream for me is making one us team, whether that be a world team, an indoor team, a cross team, an Olympic team. If it's just one team and it's just one moment and I, and I execute it well, great. My number one priority and my dream, honestly, is to execute a championship race. If that means finishing fifth, all right, great. That, and, and if I do that, then I think the next dream is more obtainable. But right now, my only dream is I want to get to the start line of a championship race and, and believe in myself. And I think that there's been a lot of times recently where that hasn't been the case. So, yeah, it's me. It's me, it's me against me at this point because I've, I've been getting walked on. Um, so, you, you know, you've talked a lot about this, just this, this new mental orientation you've had. But like in terms of the day to day, obviously, you're super new to the union team. But how has it been different so far? Like what is, you know, kind of compare contrast? Like how is it a similar environment yeah. to Brooks? How is it new? What's, yeah. the, what's the vibe? Well, I'm just I'm going to talk about the vibe of union. And by no means is this going to be a contrast to what I think is at Brooks. So just for prefacing, prefacing sure. that, yeah. I'm not going to say, well, what are you excited about now? That exactly. You're in your new environment. Exactly. Yeah. And, I'm, and, I, and, that, and that's not to say that this isn't the case elsewhere at Brooks or any other team, but like with union, what I immediately noticed is like everybody wants to be the best. And it's cool because that's contagious. And like when you're at training camp, like it's training camp, like it's, it's, it's fun. It's laid back. We're by the pool, but when it's workout day and we're on the track, like I genuinely feel like we're, we're not racing, but we're, we're trying to, to maximize our efforts. And, that, and I think that 
being in this environment and being able to do that will only mean that by replicating that day in and day out of maximizing my efforts, I'll be able to get to a start line and maximize my effort there. And we had a, me and Amos had a workout right after our, our lilac meet. He won um, the fifteen hundred meter in his, his debut. I got second in the three K behind Cole. Is what it is. But we did a workout afterwards. And the joke of it, he goes like, man, David, he's like, you were jogging. He's like, you knew, he's like, you knew that we had this type of a burner workout today because uh, you're in better shape than 850 or 757 for 3K. He's like, you, Pete texted you the, the, day, the day of the race and goes, hey, don't race hard. You're going to have a great <laughs> workout on Tuesday. Just relax. And uh, we had a, a phenomenal workout in Arizona. And that was the first workout since I've been with the team that I felt like, oh, yeah, like, not like I belong here. I didn't have imposter syndrome, but I've been going through a lot of changes physically with the team because my strength and conditioning is catered to me. Like my weaknesses are hopefully going to turn to strengths. And like the David McHenry, who's our, our PT and strength and conditioning coach, he, he like writes a specific plan for me. So I know exactly what's going to get wrecked in the gym after a workout. And I've been sore for two months. Like this is the first time where I feel like I can go through our gym session and not be absolutely wrecked afterwards. But it's because I was operating physically a little bit less of what I was capable of previously. And so knowing that now not only is McHenry trying to maximize my stability um, in the gym, Pete is trying to maximize my efforts on the track. Now my job is to maximize my efforts in the workouts and the races. So I just feel like there's this really big cohesion within the team of staff and athlete where we all want to be the best. And I mean, we're, we're working with athletes on the team where I'm the only athlete that's never made a world or Olympic team on, on union, uh, for the, on the men's side. And so like you have Amos, uh, Bartelsmeyer, he's made the, um, the German team. You have Charlie Hunter. He made the Tokyo team for Australia. You have Donovan Brazier probably doesn't need an introduction. You know who <laughs> that guy is. Um, at camp, we had Centro down there working out with us. Also doesn't need an introduction. Noah Kibet, who is a Kenyan, uh, 800 meter runner, 19 years old, ran 144 and finished second in the world in indoors. Like these guys are legit. These are, these guys are gamers. It's not about me trying to go somewhere nobody's gone before that that's around me it's about okay i'm keeping up and i'm and i'm and i'm working out alongside these guys why the hell am i not there <laughs> like i believe in myself now like yeah like these guys have made teams these guys have ran this time these guys have ran this workout and so if they can translate it from what they're doing right now to what they do in races i'm like damn all right well let put me on a start line what is uh what is pete like as a coach like what is the uh, the sort of personal dynamic between yeah you guys? i mean for for me and him personally, uh, he's pretty hands off, and I and I actually like that because um, I I think I operate really well now under the maturity and, and professionalism that I have to take care of my own my own stuff, and so I see Pete for workouts, and that and that's pretty much it. Like he'll fly into Arizona for key sessions or things, but like I don't need him to show up to practice on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Saturday and Sunday to tell me to run. I'm gonna do that. Um, I like, I like the dynamic with Pete. Uh, he is business. Um, but at the, at this point, like I'm also trying to be business. So that relationship is really healthy for me because he knows what I want. I know wh what he is and who he is. So, um, it's good. Um, I've, I've actually, when I was getting recruited, um, to the team, I said, I sat down and spoke with him for a handful of hours at Nike and, and I left that conversation. Um, and immediately I was like, yeah, this is it. Like, I told, I called Howie afterwards and I just said, Howie, like, I know we have other locations on the table. I'm going to let you know right now, this is, this is where I need to be. Like, this is where I need to be. Not even where I want to be. Like, I'll accept less. I'll, I'll accept more. I'll accept, like, it doesn't matter what I accept because like, 
I'm accepting the team and the coach and like, let me, let me, let me go to Portland. And so he just said, all right. He's like, we won't tell them that that takes away all our leverage. Uh, but he's like, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it in the back of our we'll, minds. We'll, we'll keep it in the back of our minds that this is our priority. And it was because my fiance is from Portland. I'm from Oregon. It felt a little bit more like a homecoming and I was coming back to the team. I get to represent the state again. Like I get to be with world-class athletes. Like Pete and I were no BS when we were talking, like, it, it was great. It, it felt like it was the transition that was needed in my career as I went through a series of like inconsistencies. So we went, so you guys moved already? Are you in the process of looking for a place? We haven't even looked at a place. Um, yeah. Pete just told me like, he's like, I don't care where you live, but you need to just be at practice at Nike Tuesday, Fridays. And so I have a lot of friends and family in the Portland area. So likely I'll kind of couch surf and bum around for a bit. Um, just because, it's like we're planning our wedding and we're getting married in September. Our le- we re-signed our lease a week before um, I got released from Brooks. So that means it goes until pretty much August. And so with planning a wedding um, that's in September, our lease going till August, Olivia still technically works out of Seattle. We're like, let's just make this transition really, sh- really smooth, really slow because I'm gone. Like I haven't been home. I haven't been to Seattle since New Year's. Like I've been in Phoenix, I've been in Spokane. Now I'm in Boston. After this, I'll go to Albuquerque. I don't need to. I don't like. We don't need to pack up and leave because right now the most important thing is is Olivia's career in Seattle. Like that's that she should focus on that. I'm I'm a vagabond. I'll bounce around anywhere. So um, we'll probably move in the fall um, or maybe maybe late summer. But I don't want to move in June. Certainly, I don't want to move it before USA's or Worlds. Like in the event that I can qualify for that. So it's. It's just kind of up in the air, but we'll move sometime. I know um, we were chatting a, a little bit about it before we went on air, but um, the everyone on Union basically is planning a wedding right now. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I remember talking to um, some of the Reebok Boston guys a couple of years back about like how it's, you know, them all being extremely wiped up is nice for sort of like the yeah. training setup because it provides yeah. the stability. Um, do you feel like they're sort of that – like a little bit of like we're, we're grown ups, we're settled, we're not like yeah. going out to 2 a.m. <laughs> to try and get laid. Like, yeah. is that sort of something that you, you feel from the team as like a, a positive? Oh, I mean, like, yeah, because when you're engaged, you can't go out and try to get laid at 2 a.m. Is that what you're saying? I mean, you can. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, just I don't kidding. know your arrangement. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yes and no. I think actually what's funny is with this team, like, I'm 27, Amos is 28, Donovan, I think, is 25, Noah Cabet's 19. Like, we're, if anything, I think that we're in further walks, like, um, of life and, and of maturity in a, in an okay and balanced way, um, like coming downstairs and telling Noah to get off the phone at three a.m. because he's <laughs> FaceTiming his his Kenyan girlfriends. I'm like, yo, brother, you got you got to keep it down a little bit. It's it's nighttime. So, um, no, not not there's not like a necessarily more stable environment, but I think it's nice to be surrounded by people that know what they want and go after what they want, whether it be relationships or um, the sport or life itself. So I, think, I feel like there's a lot to learn around that. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed the company of that and I've enjoyed being able to go on a run and talk about wedding planning with Amos. Not that we're getting married, but like we're, our stresses, quote unquote, which they're all good stresses. Like, oh, what, what do you guys have a color? Oh, do you, what's your venue? What's like budgeting? All these things like weddings are stupid expensive. So it's like, it's, um, it's it's fun. It, it's fun to be around people that are in like scenarios for sure. But I wouldn't necessarily say it feels more stable. Uh, I guess this is like this will probably be our Valentine's Day episode. So, yeah. 
Uh, you want to walk the people through your through your Valentine's Day love story? How did how did you and Olivia meet? Yeah. Um. So to start my previous relationship, to add a little bit of uh, tea to the whole convo. Oh boy, <laughs> we're I, uh, starting there. I was with a girl for a month, and then uh, I had a nice reservation set um, for February fourteenth. Obviously, Valentine's Day. And I started dating this girl January 4th. I don't even know. My freshman year of college. And immediately, it wasn't like serious from like a physical perspective, but it was very serious on her end from an emotional perspective. Like I met her family and it felt like there was a lot of pressure already around marriage. And I mean, this was like first month. And I'm like, yo. That's a lot. Yeah. Like, yo. <laughs> Especially freshman yo, year of college yo. too. Yeah. I'm like, this is my first girlfriend ever. Whoa. And, uh, so then we had a reservation set for January or for uh, February fourteenth, and I broke up with her February thirteenth. Oh, good. Did you still go to the reservation? No. Here's it's crazy though. I go, I, I I look at her and like we had like a little meeting, like we met up, and I was like, hey, like I I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I don't think this is gonna work. We're not we're not resigning the contract. <laughs> yeah, I didn't resign the contract with her. I let her go easy, smoothly. Um, she wasn't happy. She was shocked. She said, um, which I'm like, what? I I I was I I was a bad boyfriend. Not a bad boyfriend. I just. Once, How bad can you be over a month? <laughs> once, once I knew I didn't want to be with her, I started being a lot more busy on nights because she was enough. in the dorms, and I was, I was just like, God, I, I got to think of a way to get out of this. Uh, if you're listening to this, Haley, which I know you're not, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I broke up with her a day before Valentine's Day because I told her, I go, Hey, I'm gonna be completely honest. Like, I don't want any anything to come from tomorrow. I don't want any like, I don't want the day to like add any fake emotions. Like, this is actually how I'm feeling. And then I, and then stupid me, nice guy goes, but if you still want to go to dinner, I'd go to dinner, but as friends. And she goes, you want to go to dinner after we break up as friends on Valentine's Day? <laughs> and I go, you know what? You, you and your friend can go. And so I think oh, her and her friend, nice. <laughs> I think her and her friend ended up going. Maybe not. I haven't talked to her since February 13th of whatever year that was. Um, but I, I was really, really scared that she was going to say she loved me. And I did not feel that mm. because that's how it was feeling. That it was getting closer and closer to that, that big word, which I'd never said to a girl before. As a 19-year-old boy, and I was really scared that she was about to say that, and I was, I didn't want, because like, what are you going to, like, my bros are like, yo, if she says she loves you, what are you going to do? I'm like, literally, like, crapped myself. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to break up with her. That's what I'm going to do. So I did. Well, there, there's maturity to knowing that yeah. and to acting on that versus, like, yeah. just sticking around for another six months. So. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give the quick and dirty on Olivia. Oh, that sounds bad. Um, I'll give the, the quick rundown on Olivia, how we met, and then I'll also, for the real romantic story, if this is dropped on a Valentine's Day, I'll talk about um, our proposal just to, uh, just to yeah, that, that was... Really sap it up. Yeah. Really sap it up. Um, so... Um, we met, we, she was on the track team, classic, and I didn't talk to her for like four months because I knew she probably had a boyfriend, which she did, and I was like, yo, if I talk to this girl, I'm going to definitely be that guy that wants to like do more than just be friends, and I, I respect boundaries, so I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to get into that, so I, I saw, I actually saw her in like August, September, because I remember seeing her, and I'm like, wow, that girl's really cute, like I, that girl's going to be trouble for me. <laughs> I didn't talk to her until January, and the first thing I ever said to her, which I remember, and she remembers it, we were at the Dempsey Indoor meet, and I was about to race, and I go, hey, can you watch my pretzels? And she goes, what? I go, can you watch my pretzels? Because I had, like, snacks there. Sure, yeah. Yeah, you know, just super nonchalant, cute little kid. And I go, and she goes, uh, sure, probably thinking I'm a creep. And so she watched my pretzels. I get back, and she goes, the pretzels were safe and sound, and as she had a couple in her hand. And I go, okay. And uh, that was it. I didn't talk to her. Um, probably for another month. And then 
our friend group started to get a little bit closer with her getting more involved because she was a freshman. I was a sophomore, so she was a year younger mm-hmm. than me. She started finding a little bit more groove in college. And then my study group kind of merged with her study group in the library. And then over the course of like February and March, we would meet at the library as a group, never just the two of us. And it was fun, like just studying with her and like being friends with her. And that was like the most important thing. I never wanted to cross boundaries. Like I would never outwardly speak or want to hang out with her alone because again, boundaries with her in her previous relationship. But then I just remember there was one day where we were at the library. There's our study group again. And I go on Twitter, um, like everyone studying would do. And I go on Twitter and I somehow get on her ex's Twitter profile. Oh, somehow. <laughs> somehow. Somehow I find. Some well, weird way. Because <laughs> I, I followed her on Twitter. And I don't know if Olivia cares if I talked about this. Probably not. She doesn't listen to podcasts. She's never listened to an episode of Sit and Kick. So Good for she's her. probably not going to listen to this. <laughs> uh, anyway, her ex was like gaslighting her over Twitter. Mm. And I was getting kind of furious about him kind of demoralizing her like that. And I just got like kind of pissed, apparently visibly. And Olivia was across from me. She's like, are you, are you okay? Like, what's, are you, I was like, because apparently I was red and sweating. Cause I was, I literally was like, man, I want to like F this guy. Um, which out of context, you could probably clip that and, and yeah, put that we'll out just the world. Put that, that'll be yeah, the yeah, teaser yeah. for the episode. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hot and sweaty. I want to F this guy. Yeah, send it. Um, <laughs> and so I just said, hey, uh, I need to leave. So I left. And then I actually totally stopped talking to her, like ghosted her, snaps, ghosted everything. Because I was like, I actually think I love this girl and like really, really care for her. Because like that, how I felt had nothing to do with like the relationship that I had with her was everything of being like just de- defending her and her deserving more respect than that. And so... I stopped talking to her for weeks, legitimately, like totally backed off, never went to study group. I get a random Snapchat over uh, spring break and she was at a party and she was 21. I swear she was 21 at a party. She was not, <laughs> she was not 21. And uh, she sent a Snapchat. Well, you said a party. You didn't specify anybody was drinking. They were drinking you know, alcohol. Yeah, they were drinking soda. They were drinking alcohol. <laughs> and uh, she, she had a, a selfie with her friend and she had a little badge on. And I just remember it said single ready to mingle. And I go, oh, that's new. I go, that's that's new. And uh, so then long. So maybe it wasn't such a random Snapchat so, after all. Maybe so know. I found out years later when I told the story to some friends. Um, she sent that directly to me and only to me. Mm, there you go. Yeah. So that was a really cool. And I didn't know that. And I was like, okay, sweet. So um, she sent me that. We kind of rekindled, reconnected a little bit. And then in April, um, we went to the coast together and with my roommates still like group setting stuff nothing like necessarily one-on-one and if you guys are still listening to this story then um good on you as this no, is no this longer is prime podcast. this is all i want out of cool a podcast. cool cool, cool. The, uh, the contract stuff was just a formality yeah of course of course <laughs> and then um so this is gonna do a good this is gonna preface it well for how romantic i am for our engagement but it's so so when we were at the coast she told me she's like I was like, so you, you and your ex are obviously done. She said, yeah. She's like, what I realized was, is I was, you were everything that was joyful to me in the day of talking to somebody. And like, she's like, what I realized was, is our time at the library and our time talking was what I was searching for in my, at the time boyfriend, but I was not getting that from him. I was getting that from you. And so she's like, and I realized when you were taken away, I, I was left with like him and nothing. And she's like, that's not, that's, she's like, I felt empty and it wasn't what I wanted. And I was like, okay, damn, like it, it, my ghosting inadvertently worked, which had nothing to do with, it was no strategy. It was no master plan. It was just me protecting her and me protecting myself. 
And then her and I were like walking on the beach one morning. I'm like picking up seashells, you know, I'm putting them in my pocket. And uh, we sit at a bench and we're sitting there and I finally go, I'm like, hey, so I got a question for you. And she goes, yeah. I was like, do you like, do you want to be my girlfriend? She goes, no. <laughs> and I go, fuck. I was like, oh, okay. And then she's like, in her defense, she recently got out of a relationship. She didn't want to go right and do another one. She's like, but I, she's like, I still want to be speaking with you and like exclusive with you. And I want to be friends with you. And like, I don't want this to think that like, I don't want you to think that this is the end of us for me saying no, like just respect the, my timeline if you could. So I pull all the shells out of my pocket and I throw them into the sand and she goes, what were those for? And I go, don't worry about it. Um, and then I finally told her the shells I had envisioned taking a photo on the beach when she said yes to be my girlfriend and I would put the she the, the seashells in a picture frame and it would say 42416 it was April 24th 2016 Aww. and I was going to put those shells in there as like our anniversary and I was going to give it to her one year later because I knew if I dated her on that day I'd be dating her a year from then and she said no so then I just immediately threw the shells into the ocean they washed them away all, with all my feelings and uh she's like oh wow okay okay so I'm, I'm a romantic I had that all planned so then, by the way, Run Your Mouth now owns the uh, rights to this for the inevitable rom com. Like, perfect. Just, just putting that perfect, down. In perfect. The perfect. Perfect. Yeah. 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 No, that, that's fine with me. I, I I enjoy signing contracts. And I also enjoy getting released from them. So, um, I'm fine with that. Um, so then, seven years go down the line. Her and I live together. We have a dog. Her and I are happily ever after. And in October of 2021, I started planning our engagement. And for all those fellas out there. And all those ladies out there that that want to plan to get a ring for your significant other, um, I enjoyed having Olivia be in on the process. So her and I actually went into a ring store together, and I was like, "Hey, I don't know what you like. I don't know, no, I don't know what style or aesthetic you're going for. Like, just it's a go big purchase to just surprise someone." So I said, with. "I yeah. said, just go try on a bunch of different styles and things." And so she went in. She she got her uh, metal or her not metal color, but I, I don't know what that would be called. Her medium color. Like she went rose gold. Uh, she liked her diamond shape. She liked these aesthetics. These like she she really like decked herself out in terms of like what she liked and didn't like. She didn't have a ring on hand. I customized one with like her direction. But when we left, she's like, "That was so fun." She's like, "I can't wait to go back." I'm like, "Yo, no, you're done. You're out. You're you're gone. <laughs> you've you've done this part your, of the your process. job yeah. is over." <laughs> so that was in like October, September, and over the course of the next six months, I um, and this is actually going to relate back to track. Um, over the course of the next six months, I planned an engagement trip to, I didn't know at the time where, but I finally settled in like October, we were going to go to Ireland. And the reason I chose Ireland was because when I went to Ireland in 2018, um, we had only been dating for two years, but it was something about the the, the country, it was something about the landscape, something about the rain, the, the architecture. It's like, I, it was one of those things where I could see Olivia everywhere. I was like, wow, Olivia would love this. Wow. This remind this reminds me of Olivia. And I don't know really know why. Maybe it was the purity. Maybe it was like the beauty of it. Like I really, really loved being there because even though I was a world away and she was still in, in Oregon and I was in Ireland racing, like I, I felt kind of connected at the heart. And so I knew that like when I was planning a trip, I was like, man, I really loved Ireland. And so I planned a trip there and I surprised her with it. I actually called her boss in October and said, hey, I know this is a long way out. We're six, six, five, five months away. Can Olivia have these days off? And her boss like, oh, yeah, definitely. So her, I got Olivia's work off, planned the trip, planned all the rentals, planned everything. And so we we come around to um, just before Christmas. I was out at like a, a barbecue with 
Actually, this was still in September, so this was before I had anything planned. Olivia went to New York City to watch me run Fifth Avenue. I never got in, but she's like, yo, I'm still going to New York with my best friend. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah. Olivia went to New York with her best friend. I didn't get into the race, so she just had a girls weekend in New York, which was great. And, and now that I look back, happy I didn't get in the race because I asked Olivia's entire family at the same time for their blessing. I asked her grandma, her grandpa, her grandma, her mom, her dad, her dad's uh, partner, and her dad's partner's mom, all in the same place. Every, every elder that was close to Olivia, I was just like, damn, there might not be another time that everyone's together in the same room. What if, what if one of them said no? <laughs> so like, so Olivia's dad, okay Olivia's dad <laughs> Scott, was like literally like he, he was in the garden and he, he like came back and he had like a rotten squash. He was just kind of hitting it against his hand and he was breaking it as I was talking to them. And uh, I asked Scott, I was like, are we good? And he's like, and he was like crying happy. He's mm -hmm. like, yeah, we're good. I just get nervous. So I was picking away at this. He's like, I couldn't, I couldn't be more happy for Olivia. And so no one, nobody said anything crazy, but I've always felt loved by her family. And so, yeah, it was, that was a dream come true to get the blessing from her family. I planned the whole trip. And then, um, I had a photographer planned out like in, in October, November, I went through like a zoom interview process with Irish photographers. Cause I wanted to capture the engagement live. I wanted someone to be there for us at that moment. I didn't want it to be something rehearsed. And so I got a, uh, someone scheduled for March 31st and I knew that was going to be the day. So I knew long before we were engaged, what day I was going to propose. I had the ring, everything in January hidden away. She had no idea that I already had the ring or had the trip planned. Um, but Olivia is, is, is the type of girl that loves to be prepared in a way. So for Christmas, I got her, um, six months of nail salons every <laughs> three weeks. Cause she, sure. wanted, she knew she wanted her nails done when she was engaged. Cause she yeah. was like, don't ha let me have ugly nails. Cause she's not, it's funny because it's, it's only for her. She never posted her ring. She, well, she might've when we got engaged, but it, mm. she never wanted to get nice, nice nails to match the ring to show her friends. She wanted to be able to look down and like, just see everything connected. So I got her six months of nail salon appointments, which um, I, I did not know what gels and things were at the time. So I had to really do research on what kind of nails she liked. Um, but I gave her six months of nails for Christmas and You're I just slowly narrowing the window <laughs> and, and, and I gave her the gift and I call and I, and in nail polish, I wrote in cursive timeline and I made a clock and I actually set the clock on uh, made of nail polish to three thirty one, And there was a little <laughs> Easter egg that I put in there, like the day we got engaged. And so I, it, the timeline gift was pretty much her knowing like, okay, you have six months of nail salon appointments because we're going to be engaged in the next six months. And not going to know when, not going to know where, not going to know how, but this is at least you're going to need to be prepared for six months of nails. And I put it right in the middle because she got three months leading up to it and then three months after to feel like, you know, a pretty girl. Uh, she's a pretty girl. Nails are not nails. Um, and so this is, this is why we could never get engaged because I would be I would be furious with the lack of specificity i would need to know i yeah, would be yeah. like you no, this so, is bullshit so, tell me <laughs> so it all it all came together when it was two weeks before we left and Olivia's like hey like I'm, i uh i gotta email my boss is this read okay and i read it and it was her sending an e a draft email about taking two weeks off from work to go to hawaii with her best friends like two days after we would get back from ireland oh no <laughs> and i go no and she's like what do you mean no i go you shouldn't you shouldn't do, you shouldn't go on this. And, uh, she goes, why not? She's like, I, I get PTO. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck, is this how I have to tell her? I go, you can't go on that trip. Cause we're going on a trip. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, we're going on a trip two weeks before that, or like two days before that for 10 days, 11 days. And she's like, well, where? And I go I'm like, here, if you guys can hear this, like <laughs> bashing my, my head. And I'm like, oh, I gotta tell her. So I'm like, we're going to Ireland. 
and she was just flabbergasted, excited, like confused, I, excited. I, again, I'll be so stressed. Is her passport up to date? Like everything is good. Yeah. I, I checked everything. I checked. I, I dotted everything. Uh, everything was good to go. Uh, what was funny though is she, the first thing she's get, and she's not she's not a picky girl. She said it as a joke, but she goes, "What's the weather gonna be like?" Because she's trying to escape March in Ireland. Is, she's trying to yeah. escape Seattle weather. What? What do you have for time? Nice. Oh, we're good. Yeah, cool. Um, we're, she was trying to escape Seattle weather. But we're going from a Seattle weather to a Seattle weather. And but um, the, the, the Irish gods and Irish uh, fairies blessed us with only clear skies. It only oh, rained at night. Very nice. And so we everything was planned. I told her, like, don't worry about it. Um, and so she accepted it. So we get to Ireland and I had every and, and to be quite frank, guys, I'm not I'm not a big spender. I used all my credit card points. I used all my Delta miles, like everything. Like I think my flight total was like $80. Like I, I only pay taxes and fees because I'm like going to use all my side effect of being a being a pro runner. Exactly. Rack exactly. up those travel miles. Exactly. And so that's what I went after is is just spending all those. And so we we stayed in a really, really nice hotel um, in downtown Dublin. And I mean, like. Marble flooring, statues. It has the largest public gallery in in Ireland or in the yeah in Ireland. It and it was really cool, way too posh for either of us. But I wanted to throw her off, and so she was waiting and waiting and waiting. And this is about five days into the trip, and and I wouldn't tell Olivia what we were doing until the day of. Like I had every day planned out. So she's like, "Okay, what are we doing today?" And I'm like, "Well, at this time we have this, we have this, we have this." We're, and then we went to Trinity College to go see um, the oldest book in human history, to our knowledge. Because Olivia's a big reader. She read 144 books last year. That is um, impressive. Because when I'm running and, and going around the world, she's she's reading about worlds and things, which she's, she's a quick reader too. But So we, we did we did cool touristy stuff. Um, story for another time. She thought I was going to propose at Guinness. I wasn't. I was just literally trying to find a reflection of a light that I couldn't see. But apparently I got down almost on one knee. <laughs> and she literally goes, she's like, David, get up. David, get up. What are you doing? I go, what do you mean? What am I? I'm like, you think I'm going to propose to you she's in a like, Guinness? We're wasted I'm like, right now. I'm like, I surprised you to a trip to Ireland. You think I'm going to do it in this, this pub, in this, in this warehouse pub? No. I told her, I was like, come on, believe in me. And so what ended up going down was a week prior to Ireland, I looked at the weather See, forecast. Is, again, differences. My boyfriend would be like, I'd love to be proposed to in a Guinness. Like yeah. Zach, Zach, Zach probably will listen. And yeah. Like I think brewery proposal, he would be on board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and not to knock it. Um, it like it, we were in a really good, I mean, we had a private dinner reservation brewery. Like, yeah, it would be a great spot. I originally planned to do it at the cliffs of Mohair. Um, and like the photographer said like, Hey, I have this private access. We could do it here, 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 here are some example photos. I'm like, Oh, sick. And then I looked at the weather a week out and it was miserable, windy and rainy. And I'm like, I don't want to stand on a cliff or by a cliff with torrential downpour. And I don't want it to be this romantic big thing if the weather's shit. So I called a week out audible and I looked, I'm like places, to, romantic places to stay in Ireland. And one of the first thing that pulled up, you guys can look at it. And if you want to look at the room rates, do some research, do it. It's called Ashford Castle. Um, and it was actually owned by the Guinness family for a long while. It was a spring and summer residence because they could afford that. But Ashford Castle, it had one room available. This is the most money I've ever dropped on a night stay at a hotel. It's the only five-star hotel in Ireland. It was insane. It's like the outside and the perimeter and the estate, it was all like very castle-esque. But the inside, like there was tapestries on the wall, all original paintings and, and gold and all. It was, it was beautiful. But then they had like up-to-date wiring and up-to-date electronics. Like it was cool. Like heated bathroom <laughs> floors. It wasn't like we were staying in like actual medieval times. It was like a renovated, up-to-date, authentic castle. It was super cool. 
And so we get I, Olivia like that morning. And, and also to, to preface, I had an espresso martini the night before that. And I was fucking wired that whole night because I was <laughs> nervous about proposing. I was caffeinated and I was just texting all my friends at home like, what am I going to do tomorrow? So I was up until like 3 a.m. We wake up. We also drove around Ireland. I rented a manual. I killed it every time on a uh, roundabout because it's on the other side of the car oh, yeah. and confusing. you're shifting with your left hand not your right hand it was it was a mess it was fun but it was it was a mess um and so we get to the castle i told i told my photographer the the audible a week out he's like this is gonna be great he sends me he gets to the castle uh, an hour before we do i connect to the wi-fi he sends me some sample photos and he says this is the best place to do it which was a beautiful place at the end of this long walkway overlooking like a, a large lake outside of galway and when me and olivia were walking out I, uh, I was like, we were like walking down the path. I like see Jamie. That's the guy that was our photographer. I see him. I try not to recognize him because <laughs> I'd never met him before, but he just kind of like had a drink in his hand. He kind of gives it like a little lift and I'm like, all right, he's in. He's, oh, he's he, he knows what's going on. He knows. On. Yeah. Not his first surprise engagement. And I, I asked him, I was like, is it going to be obvious? And he goes, he goes, I'm going to be completely honest. You get down on one knee, you start speaking. Her vision is going to focus on you. She will That's not know fair. anything yeah. around you. And so I end up, this is the longest explanation of my engagement I've ever done too. So you own the rights, All to, right. you you own the rights to my love this life. This is going to be part of the rom-com, the last scene. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, and this is actually, I want to relate this all back to running. This, right. I think it's a very important thing to Perfect. relate back to running. Um, and so when I proposed, of course, she went tunnel vision. I like said what I said, I felt as though it I quoted her favorite movie I quoted her grandpa I'm I had my own little um saying going I, I like to write haikus I like to, to write and so I felt like it was a well-spoken piece I rehearsed it a thousand times before it was from the heart but it was rehearsed it was a rehearsed piece that I knew what I wanted to say and obviously she said yes and Jamie was clicking away with the cameras some of the coolest photos ever and like absolutely love it that moment's captured forever and it's it's something that I look back on and honestly one of the proudest moments of my life that like I got to build a life with her previous and then I get to now think about my life forever with her and it's one of those things like I have a tattoo not of her and I but like I have a, a tattoo of love even and like it, it's it's a so unexplained and it's so surreal and it's one of those things that like out of all the uncertainties in life like true love is and I'm not even talking about soulmates because I don't even know if I believe in that. But like when you love someone and they love you, it's this unexplained feeling. And I and I loved it. And and I loved planning it for her. I loved planning a wedding. I haven't had like tons of wedding stress, nor has she. Like, I don't know. It it just it just has felt so right. And so Jamie gave us a few moments to be with one another and he said, Hey, you guys just go for a walk. Don't worry about me. Well, what I didn't know is he was going to be taking photos. So a lot of our engagement photos were actually like super candid, cute shots of us just talking and hanging out. And then we went through a formal shoot. The next day we rode horses around the campus of the, the castle. And then we spent like another five days just traveling around Ireland. And I think we spent, or we drove 860 miles. Just, yeah, we, I think we drove over a thousand kilometers. Um, it was cool. It was super, super cool. Um, and so it was just like a, a memorable trip. Um, do you have any follow-up questions before I relate this back to running? I was just going to say the lesson from all of this kids, if you're listening is if someone asks you to watch their pretzels, you better watch their fucking pretzels. <laughs> yeah. That's the start of something serious. Start of something serious. Um, and so when it comes to running, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit when I talk about my inconsistencies in races. So last year for 2022, I got engaged obviously March 31st. 
So my indoor season in October, in the fall, I was mapping out my running career. Like, okay, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do? Where do I want to be? And I, I put world indoor championships for the 3000 meters because I wanted to make that team. I thought that was an achievable goal. I thought that was a realistic option. So I set that as my final race of the indoor season, which was mid-March. So my plan was, I'm going to go through this whole indoor season. I'm going to make the team. I, I, I set myself to make it. I trained like I could make it. I, I felt like I, I worked out like I could make it. My mentality, I felt like, was there. So I planned our engagement trip, selfishly, after World Indoors. If you guys know who I am and follow my career, plot twist, I didn't make it. <laughs> I actually didn't even make USAs. I didn't even qualify for USAs. And it was devastating because I just planned my entire future life around making this meet. And I put so much pressure on myself to run a good 3K. I ran 803. It's the worst 3K I've ran since my junior year of college. Like it was 13 seconds off my PB, which not PBs or everything, but a lot slower than I should have ran. Like I ran 757, which again isn't great, but I ran that last week in Lilac. Easiest race I think I've ran in a long time. I was just a little bit disconnected. And I'm like, I just absolutely shit the bed and like I was like okay well I got another chance to qualify for USAs and then I find out no actually this is the last day for the window to qualify for USAs and I go why am I finding out about this now like you can qualify for USAs on a flat track like why did I just run one 3k like there's a lot of issues that with that but I failed to make USAs which means I failed to make the world championships and when I came home from the trip, this was April, and this is when I knew some things were, were in the cahoots about me, uh, like emotionally and physically where I was with Brooks. I was in a sports psych session, and, and her name is Shannon Thompson, and, and professionally I love her. Like, great relationship. She's helped me with so much, and like, genuinely, genuinely, like, it's okay to see professionals without having anything wrong. I didn't think anything was wrong. I don't think anything is wrong with me. She just helps me with the things and brings out the best of me. And so... Um, I think that's a resource that if you have a coach to condition you physically, I love having a coach or a person there to condition me mentally. And that's Shannon to me. I, we were in a session in April and this is given, I just come back from the happiest trip of my life. I was fit. I was ready. I was gearing up for a 5k and I, uh, I was in the session with her and I just started crying. Blindsided myself, did not think that I was gonna do that I, I and like olivia for context olivia's never really seen me cry she's only seen me cry once and that was a little teary-eyed she hasn't seen me like continuously tear up and and let like tears flow and it's not that i'm like not emotional it's just i don't know i, I i've never people just aren't a crier yeah, yeah i'm not really a crier um and so i was in this call with shannon and i just started crying and i got caught off guard she got caught caught off guard and she's like, David, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? And I, I outwardly said, which I, was something that I had never considered before until that exact moment, genuinely, like, I said to her, I was like, I don't know how much longer I want to be in the sport. And that is nothing, I, that had never crossed my mind before. Like, I just said it out loud, and that's the first time I'd ever heard it from my own voice, even in my own head. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like... And, and obviously she was like, that's a lot to unpack. Not, she didn't tell me that, but we knew that it was a lot to unpack. Like, and over the course of the, and again, if you, if you follow me, my 5k in, um, when was it? April or May? I ran like 1357. I ran 30 seconds off my personal best. 
ran way way slower than I was I thought I was capable of, and I think there's a lot of things going on emotionally with me that weren't getting addressed, and and so what it came down to for me is like what I found out was everything in my life was progressing. Running or sorry, relationship I'm engaged. Life we got a puppy and Alfie we love Alfie to death. Um, my sister moved in with with her boyfriend. They bought a house. Olivia and I are, are happy. Like my my family, everything around me, my friends. Like I felt like my life was just progressing and moving forward. And the one thing that wasn't moving forward was my running. If anything, it felt like it was going backwards. And that was a really hard thing for me to like comprehend because this is the first time ever in my life that running wasn't moving forward. It was moving backwards or staying the same. And over the course of the next four months from April until August, when I was going through all this stuff, like I made USAs, I made a move, didn't make the final, told Danny I'm going to keep racing, ran 338 in the 15. I'm like, okay, great. Ran 335 in the 15, sick, PB. A month later, went through a great training block, uh, got third in a race, ran 355 for the mile. That's a great, that's a great consistency for me from, from running a race July 15th and then running a race August 18th. Like that's a huge gap for me to fill that I've never been able to fill before. And what I found out over the course of four months and like I had to self-explore this on my own and in my own terms, but what I found out was it wasn't how much longer do I want to be in the sport. I think that what I found out was like, I don't know how much longer I want to be with this team. And it had nothing to do with the team itself. It had everything to do with me and my emotional not stability, but my emotional well-being. Just the con- needing to feel like you're making progress or yeah, making a change yeah. to and, move and, forward. And so if all my life is changing, I think that what it happened was is I, I then planted the seed in my mind that like I think my running needs to change. I think my location needs to change. I think my mentality needs to change. So this is a long roundabout reconnection to the, like what we started talking about, like who I am now and what I'm trying to chase after now. That's a change. And change is super, super scary and it's super, super unknown. But... It's it's needed and it's and I've, I'm happier and I'm healthier than I've ever been in the sport at the professional level and I genuinely say that and like I haven't me and my sports like t- text back and forth but and I'm actually gonna get coffee with her tomorrow before I race like it's it, it it's okay to have these really really low moments and really really inconsistent moments but it's like I think at the end of the day the most important thing through highs and lows is like you got to be true to yourself and know what you want and like if you're going through a hard time like real I like. I, I had tons of self-reflection and I'm not saying that I've made it because I haven't. And I'm not saying that I, like I'm on the outside looking in cause I'm still going through my own personal stuff too. But the, the, the drastic language that I used of being in the sport turned to, I don't know how much longer I want to be on this team to me rediscovering a love for the sport of, all right, I'm ready to fucking do this. But it took months and months and months of that. And it took, it took, a breakdown and a series of bad races and a few good races for me to come out of it the other end and be like, okay, like I'm going to be okay. And through September to December, when I didn't know where I was going to be, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay because I'm surrounded by people that I love. People love me. I'm surrounded by very good, good friends. Like, again, I have Alfie. I have a dog. Like I see him, like he doesn't give a shit if I run good or bad. Like, it's just like there's so many things to life outside of running, and I think that I got a little bit more all-consuming, uh, or I guess like it was consuming me. Um, where now, like I've found a lot more balance and structure in my life to where like yeah, running is everything right now from a dream perspective, but I'm not gonna let it like dictate my life. Like I'm actually gonna do this sport because I want to do it, not because I'm under contract, not because 
uh, I need to do this or that, or not because I need to pursue this dream, but because I genuinely want to just do this. And that's not a Nike ad. That's not just do it, you know? <laughs> you, you could coin it, but, like, I really do. Like, that's that's what I'm st- in the sport for at this point is to just do it. Like, I haven't done that yet, and I want to do it. So. That is a beautiful roundabout that's way. It. This man is a professional. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we lose you, though, we have three questions. Three questions, okay. Guest. Um, is this a long episode for you? Uh. Longish. Longish. So I don't mind a long app. I like a long pod. Um, but uh, no, the first is your Instagram crush. You can't say Olivia. And it doesn't have to be like a crush crush. Like it's just like yeah, something yeah, yeah, that yeah. you're into on the internet. Yeah. Um. So. Hmm. Okay. I'm. I like. Uh, <laughs> Olivia and I celebrity uh, crushes crossover a lot. Sure. So. I would say crush. Dua Lipa, I, I I like Dua Lipa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she's she's all right, you know. Um, Harry, Harry Styles is there too. That's fair. That Harry his style and his looks, I'm I'm going for it. So both those both those people, I would say, I'm like, yeah, you got what it takes to to be mine, you know. Fair enough. Yeah, you you, you could be my watermelon. The same sugar. time, that would be yeah, even yeah, you know exactly same time. Seventy five minutes in, that's when the real stuff comes. Yeah, in. I'm like, <laughs> yo, if 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 Olivia, me, if Olivia and I walked into a bar and Dua Lipa and Harry Styles are sitting there, dude, it's gonna be a gloves night. are coming off. All, all four of us are having a, having a wild time, and I'll buy. And I don't care how much money they make. I don't care how much money Olivia makes. I don't care if I have to go in debt on a credit card. I'm I'm buying drinks and and seeing where seeing where we See go. Where it takes you us. know, it could go any direction. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, speaking of two musicians, uh, go to karaoke song after fifth Ave, somebody hands you the mic. Oh God. I what actually, are you singing? I, uh, I, I had only done, uh, karaoke once and it was after fifth Ave. Um, and I sang moon river by Frank Sinatra and I got booed, um, booed, booed. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, you might have to come for the different karaoke yeah, song. And then, um, I think that if I were to go into a, a bar right now and sing a karaoke song, it'd be feathered Indians by Tyler Childers. All right. Mm-hmm. I, I've I've sang that song with my sister because we had like a little karaoke mic set up for our New Year's party, and her and I, not that I'm a good singer, but her and I harmonized on it. and It was really fun. Like it, it was cool to kind of sing a song with my sister because my sister's brilliant at music. So that w- that was really fun. And I I'd, I'd want to put that onto the real show and the real stage. There you go. And then last but not least, death row meal. You're going to the chair. You get to eat anything you want. One last meal. What are you eating? Uh, probably a maple bar. That's it. Maple Just- bar and a cappuccino. Give me that. It's a light last meal. You gotta yeah. have courses. You gotta have desserts. Nah, but... nah, nah. That's it. He's a man that knows what he wants. Yeah, maple bar. I like maple bars. All right. Well, David, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, I, I feel like we could talk for another two hours. Yeah, I was gonna say we're gonna get kicked out of the, yeah. the building. Well, thank you, David, for um, having me on. Yes, it was a wonderful time. And uh, until next time, this has been Run Your Mouth. Okay.